I don't know when I'm going to be finished with this thought, but I want to take the next few weeks and uh, talk to you about what it means to have good success. I think one of the things that we've gotten away from in church culture, and I think because we're striving to do the right thing is, I think churches are trying to get away from one word in particular, it's the word prosperity. Um, It's a word that's throughout the Bible, but we're trying to get away from it because it's been defined so irresponsibly so often in our churches. And so we've come up with terms to define churches that teach things like, you know, God wants to give you a big shiny house and give you a big old car and a bunch of stuff and wants to make all your dreams come true and wants you to be super, super happy. And I think we've, we've misunderstood God's intention. God does want us to have ultimate joy. God does want to bless us, not just in our health, but financially. But I think we've taken a whole lot out of context tried to make things be there that weren't there and it's not really been the fault of the sheep it's been the fault of its shepherds and uh, so I want to apologize (laughs) Um, because I think there's been too often a desire to make the Bible say something that isn't there because of insecurity that desires to control people to get certain outcomes. And um, I think we can even parent that way sometimes. Well, we won't talk about that this morning, but the kids are like, talk about that. No, I won't go there yet. But So I want to talk to you about good success because the Bible does teach us that God wants to prosper us, but it does not teach us that God wants to prosper us the way the world sees prosperity. How many of you would say Noah prospered? Yeah, Noah pro- I mean, when the whole earth was being destroyed, Noah and his family were protected. But for hundreds of years, Noah was building something nobody had ever seen for something nobody had ever seen. He looked like he was crazy. And the world would not define Noah as prosperous because the world would look at Noah giving up everything to build something he's never seen for something he's never seen as crazy, as unfortunate. They wouldn't define Noah as prosperous, but we look at Noah's life and we see his name listed in Hebrews as a hero of the faith. So Noah prospered, just not in the way the world sees prospering. So I want to talk to you about good success. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This is what the Lord says to Joshua. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. John writes in 3 John 3 and 2, he says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. That, that word prosper there is the Greek word eudo, 
which means this. It means to be successful in your journey or in your business affairs. This is God's desire for you, that you would prosper, but not your way, His way. He wants you to prosper, but He says, I want you to prosper even as your soul prospers. Because Jesus would teach, what good is it that a man could gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So Father, in Jesus' name, teach us. Show us what good success is. We thank you for your word today. We ask that over these next few moments you would speak clearly. I pray today that any agenda that is in my heart would be removed and only your agenda would remain. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said amen. amen. Just a few weeks ago, I, uh, <clears throat> I was in another state and I saw this shirt that I really wanted. And so I, uh, I bought the shirt. And it was from one of those stores that it, 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 it seemed a little shady. You know what I'm talking about? Like it was saying it was this brand, but there was something about it that didn't feel like it was that brand. But I wanted that brand, so I bought it anyway. And I couldn't afford it from the actual brand. You know what I'm talking about? It's not Gucci, but Fucci, you know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But come to find out, I looked up, up online after I left the store. It was a legit place. And so I, I actually, I found a good deal. And I took the shirt home, and I wore the shirt. I loved the shirt. And then I washed the shirt, and then I put the shirt in the dryer. And when the shirt came out of the dryer, all of the lettering on the shirt was falling off of the shirt. And I said, I knew it. I knew it. They got me. And, uh, and Monica was like, hey, did you, did you read the, the tag for the instructions on how to wash the shirt? I was like, what is this? <laughs> what, you know, that, that whole meme, like, what age were you when you found out? Like, oh, that's what that tag is all about. I just cut them out because they annoy me. They make my back itch. <laughs> So I, uh, I looked at the tag, and on the tag, it, it said, um, lay flat to dry. I had put it in the dryer. You know, um, when I read that, I thought, man, Robbie, you should have read the instructions. I didn't go, that shirt designer is trying to control my life. <laughs> Who does he think he is giving me a shirt? That requires me to lay it flat to dry. I didn't do that. Why? Because I don't get to tell the designer <laughs> how the shirt should be treated. But I, I think we have done the same thing with the Bible. And uh, we act like God is trying to control us when God is actually trying to help me get the most out of what he has designed because he designed it to be treated a certain way. So being godly, the Bible talks about being godly. He wants us to be godly, but being godly is not always about being moral. Being godly is not always about doing what is right because 
when we read the Bible, the, the Bible doesn't just give us instruction for morality. The Bible gives us instruction for success. The Bible gives us instruction for good success. The Bible gives us instruction on how to prosper God's way. That's why he told Joshua, he said, I've written a book. And if you'll read it and you'll memorize it and you'll keep it close to your heart, I will make you prosperous in everything you do and you will have good success. So being godly is not just about being moral. We don't do what is right just because it's right. We do what is right because it's better. It's better. People are like, you're trying, you know, people are like, Robbie, you, you, you preach that Bible and you're trying to control how I live. No, I'm not. I'm just offering a better way of living. The, the Bible is not just theological. It's logical. <laughs> There's so much in Scripture that if we would just observe, it would change our lives. And we're busy out here running around trying to change our lives when the Bible is just like, if you would just do what I've instructed, your life would change Oof. see you have the freedom to put a fork in the microwave you can do that but it wouldn't be wise nobody is like that microwave creator is trying to control and manipulate my life nobody does that but we do that to God Failing to realize God is the designer created us in such a way that if you will function the way I created you to function, you will be successful. Again, not in the way the world sees it, because I think we're afraid to say amen when we hear the word success in church. Uh, God created you not to just be moral, but to be successful. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we were, at, we were in Acts chapter 16. And in Acts chapter 16, um, the Bible says that Paul is trying to go to Galatia, but the Holy Spirit uh, speaks to him and says no. And then he tries to go to a place called Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit speaks to him again and says no. And then he has a vision in the Spirit of God speaks to him and says, I need you to go to Macedonia. And when he gets to Macedonia, he experiences effectiveness because that's what we're called to. We're, we're not really called to success is, is, is a word that, that the world has corrupted. Really what we're talking about when we're talking about success is effectiveness. I just want to be effective. And so... When Paul gets there, he experiences effectiveness. And he doesn't just make a difference. Remember, I told you, he, he made his difference. I don't want to just make a difference. Come on, I want to make my difference. Just like you can stick a fork in a microwave if you want to, a fish is free to jump out of water, but if it does, it dies. And if we're not careful we will not understand and learn the power 
of God saying no to us. Nobody in this room likes to hear no. Something on the inside of you gets stirred up when you are told no. I don't care how old you are. You don't like being told no. I was walking up to a restaurant the other day, and I went to pull in the door, and somebody grabbed the door and said, no, it's not open yet. And something on the inside of me said, I've watched too much WWE in my life to put up with you. <laughs> we don't like no. But we need to learn and understand the power of no. And in order for us to have good success, we need to learn how to say no to ourselves. We don't just need to learn how to accept the no's from heaven, but we need to learn how to say no to us and to others effectively. If you don't, you'll spend the rest of your life trying to fit into a calling that is not yours. Remember, I asked the question, I said, well, all Paul wants to do is preach the gospel in Galatia. All Paul wants to do is preach the gospel in Bithynia. And God says, no. Why? Because not every emergency is my calling. And I am and you are a limited resource. I have limited time and I have limited energy. And if I spend my time trying to fit into a calling that is not mine, I will miss what belongs to me, what makes me, and what makes you effective. I'll miss it. In 1 Samuel 17, David is feeling this calling to fight Goliath, right? He's hearing Goliath talk, and he's agitated by it he feels gifted to meet this moment and he looks around and he asks everybody is there not a cause basically he's saying why don't you feel how I feel about what he's saying and so David goes to Saul and he says Saul listen I'll fight this fight Saul's like you're too young for this he's like you don't understand I've already killed a lion and a bear I'm ready for this. I'm, I was born for this. I'm uniquely gifted to do this. And I'm also uniquely agitated about this. And so the Bible says Saul dressed him in his armor. But David started to feel uncomfortable. And he looked at Saul and he's like, thanks, but no thanks. This doesn't fit me. As a matter of fact, I'm looking around at a bunch of people in armor who are doing nothing about this. So I need to fight this my way. How God has uniquely gifted and created me. Because if I go out in your armor, then I might die. But if I go out the way God has designed me to go out and created me to go out, then I will have 
the victory. And some of you this morning, you are still trying to fit in a calling that isn't yours, in something that everybody else has shaped for you, but it wasn't made for you. And you have to be willing. Oh, man, you have to be willing to be misunderstood so that you can follow the call of God that's on your life. Let me do it how I do it. And if you don't do it how you do it, then somebody is losing because you're not winning. So let's talk about no for a minute. No. No immediately makes you feel rejected. You want to go on a date? No. That's why people usually don't say no. They're like, I'm busy. I got other plans. <laughs> they, they probably just don't like you. Sorry, it's just <laughs> probably not going to happen. Because we don't want to hurt people. I love people who are just like, they let their no be no and their yes be yes. Just stop beating around the bush and tell me no. No. First of all, let me help you, let me help you with, with no, because I think many of you misinterpret no. First of all, no is not saying to someone, I don't care about you. You remember Paul in Scripture, if you don't remember it, there's a story in the Bible where the Apostle Paul is asking God to do something. The Bible says he has this thorn in the flesh. People have debated for years over whether this thorn is some sort of sickness or illness or some sort of persecution. I don't really know what the thorn is, but I know what the thorn does. It irritates. And it was driving Paul crazy. And Paul pleaded. He said, God, please. And he said, I asked him three times. And he kept saying no. Do you think God loved Paul? Absolutely. So just because you say no doesn't mean you don't care. Why? Because very often no means not that I can't help you. It just means that I can't keep helping you this way. <laughs> Things have changed for me. Things have changed for you. And if I keep helping you like this, I'll just keep getting in your way. And I've got something better for you. I'm trying to love you more accurately. So no is not I don't care about you. I don't love you. I can't help you. Sometimes no is I just can't keep helping you like this. It's like how you adjust with your own kids. There comes a point where it's like I can't keep picking up the fork for you. I can't keep cleaning up after you. You have to mature, and if I keep doing this for you, you'll never figure out how to do this for yourself. So it's not that I don't love you, it's just I'm trying to love you effectively. And sometimes me loving you effectively is me saying no to you. In, 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 the, in the book of John, chapter 6, Jesus had, had fed thousands of people with natural bread. 
They were hungry and he fed them with bread. And the Bible says after he fed them, he went over to the other side of this body of water. And on the other side, they followed him over to that side. And Jesus has a conversation with them because they come to him. And he says, I I know you're here, but you're not here because you really want me. You're here because of how I fed you. You're here because of the bread. And then Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You're here for more physical bread, but I I didn't give you the physical bread as a pattern for how I was going to treat you for the rest of your life. And sometimes we get stuck in how God did something for us, and now we're frustrated with God, but he's he's trying to feed us a different way. But we can't make the transition because we think he's rejecting us. It's not rejection. He's just saying, I'm trying to care for you in a different and better way. So no, I don't have any bread. Not the kind of bread you're looking for anyway. And he says, I'm the bread. What is that? How do I bite that? (laughs) So man, it can be frustrating because no feels like I don't care. No feels like I can't help. But no, it's not always I can't help. It just means I can't keep helping you that way. And sometimes for me to love you effectively, it means I have to take a break from you so that I can love me correctly. How how should we prioritize our life? Love God. Love others. But that's not what the Bible says. How should I live my life? Love God, love others. But that's not what the Bible says. And when you, and Joshua, when you don't follow the manual, you won't have good success. So what does the Bible say? The Bible actually teaches a different pattern of love. The Bible teaches us, love your neighbor, but love your neighbor as yourself. So the biblical pattern for love is love God, love myself, love others. No wonder we are not good at loving others is because we got the progression wrong. I cannot effectively love you until I learn how to love me that God created. First Corinthians chapter 13. It's not, it's not really a descriptor of how you should love other people. First of all, it's a descriptor of how God loves us. Second of all, it's a description of how we should love ourselves. Paul says, can we, let's just turn there. First Corinthians 13. I need to show you this. First Corinthians 13. And, and sometimes this happens because of bad translations. You've got to be careful with the Bible translations that you use. I, I'm not going to get up here and just call them out. I'm not going to be like, King James only. No, I'm, I'm not that guy. But, but I, I do want you to be, to be careful because some interpretations can just be a little bit off. And it throws the whole progression. It throws the whole thing out of order. And where there is an order, what is there? Chaos. And so there's a translation called the New Living Translation. And in this translation, in 1 Corinthians 13, it's uh, it's talking about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it says, if if you don't love others, 
It says, if you, if you are gifted, but you don't love others. If, if, you, if you give all you have, but you don't love others. But that's not what the Bible says. And sometimes you have to go back to the original language. This is, this is why you need teachers in your life. This is why you need a pastor in your life. This is why I do what I do. Because sometimes we just, we just take it at face value and we, we throw in there all of the context from our past and all of the bad. And, and some, of the, some of the best learning you can do is unlearning. Is unlearning. Now, listen to this. 1 Corinthians 13. This is what Paul says. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Look how Paul, look, look, what the, look, what, look at the word that he uses over and over again that sometimes is mistranslated. He uses this word, have not. It doesn't say give not. In the original, it uses this Greek word echo, which means to possess, to hold, to have, to cling to. One of the definitions of this word is to find one's self. So Paul is saying, if I give, but I don't have. If, if I'm gifted and I give you my gift, but I don't possess love, then I'm just making noise. If I give you all of my money, but I don't have love, then it's not really making a difference. If I give my body up to be burned, but I don't possess love, here's what Paul is saying. I cannot give you what I don't possess. Peter and John said, silver and gold we don't have. I'm not going to take out a loan to help you. Because I don't have it. If I had it, I'd give it to you. But I don't have it. And so I'm not going to wreck my life trying to give you something I don't have. But what I do have, he said, I give. Because I can't keep giving what I don't possess. And so many in the room are trying to give love, but you don't possess it. You're trying to give peace, but you don't possess it. Listen to what love does. This is what the Bible says. Love suffers long. And it's kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. God is trying to teach you how to love you. He's trying to tell you, you will never be kind to people until you are kind to yourself. You will never stop holding grudges against people until you stop holding grudges against you. You will always hold people's past over their heads as long as you keep holding your past over yours. He's trying to teach us not how to really love others because loving others is the overflow of loving ourselves correctly. That should help somebody today. So no doesn't mean I don't love you. No doesn't mean I no doesn't mean I can't help. And when I say no to you, or if I even say you can't come with me, 
Jesus, after he rose from the dead, they were trying to cling to him. He said, stop clinging to me. After Jesus would heal certain people, there was a man Jesus went and he met him and he freed him from demons. And after Jesus did it and Jesus was leaving, the man said, I need to go with you. I want to follow you. And Jesus said, you can't, you can't go where I'm going. I need you to stay here. No does not always mean you're not good enough for where I'm going. It just means I'm going somewhere different. And I remember when I first started really turning my life over to Jesus and I started changing the places that I went and the people that I hung out with and the people that I gave access to my life and they all thought, oh, you're better than me. And I was like, no, I'm not saying you can't, you can't go with me. I'm just trying to tell you, you can't, I can't stay here. I can't keep doing this. James says, James says, faith without works is dead. And I think we've become masters of faith that isn't rooted in love. <laughs> we've become masters of a faith that isn't rooted in love. We are so busy trying to do works motivated by faith that aren't rooted in love. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians, he says, there are three that remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Remember, Jesus told people as he was walking the earth and he was teaching, he said, if you love me, you will keep my word. He didn't say, if you believe in me. <laughs> he didn't say, if you just have faith in me, you'll keep. He said, no, if you love me. And we've been trying to believe without being rooted in love. And our souls aren't profiting. And no wonder your business isn't working. It's because your soul isn't prospering. No wonder you're not successful. It's because your heart's not successful. So again, Jesus said, what does it profit someone to gain the whole world but lose their soul? Oh, you might have money in the bank, but your soul is bankrupt. And I want to help you with something because I've been feeling this for years now. And it again exposed itself in my life over the past couple of weeks. I want to say this and then I want to talk to you about something. And I'm going to share my heart with you. And I need you to hear my heart and hear what I'm trying to say. I don't know that I'll say it perfectly, but I need you to hear what I'm trying to say. It's not good for your soul to feel responsible for everything that is happening in the world. You weren't created to carry the weight 
of governments on your shoulders. The Bible teaches us that he carries the government on his shoulders. At the end of the day, he is ultimately responsible for who is in authority in the earth today. Just read your Bible. If you think you control it just because you get to vote, if you live in a country like America where we get to vote, <laughs> you, you don't realize, you haven't read your Bible, you don't realize how out of control you actually are. We always teach about the people that Jesus ministered to. But we never talk to you about the people he didn't minister to. I always talk to you about the people he said yes to, but I very rarely talk to you about the people he said no to. All that power, the son of the living God, Enough power to conquer the greatest enemy we have, death. And yet he didn't use any of his power to overthrow a government. That's why they hated him. All that power, and he wouldn't heal some people because of their doubt and unbelief. All that power... And in John chapter 5, he stepped over dozens, if not hundreds, of sick and ailing people to go and heal somebody that wasn't even sure if they wanted a miracle. He had to ask them, do you even want to be made well? All that power and your cousin, John, requests your assistance, is falsely imprisoned and ultimately beheaded all that power and you do nothing? Man, we would have a social media meltdown on Jesus. All that power and you didn't stop Judas from hanging himself? We don't talk about the times that he disappeared from the crowd. The times where he left the disciples and didn't even tell them where he was going so that he could spend time with God. We always talk about who Jesus said yes to. And we rarely talk about who Jesus said no to. And he gives us some great insight for, li insight for living. It just because you can doesn't mean you should. You know that pain you felt for the past few weeks? From Buffalo? that racist, hateful attack that happened in Buffalo or, or the pain that you felt when you, as a churchgoer, when you read about that church shooting in California and those people that were murdered while they were going to church or this past week, 19 children, two teachers, what are we even, what kind of world are we even living in that that kind of evil and hatred exists? And you know that pain you feel? Imagine waking up every day with that same pain because you have a 
burden for the unborn. Knowing that every single day, 2,000 babies are going to be aborted. Knowing, having a conviction that a fetus is a baby and knowing that our country is going to kill 2,000 babies today. And the reason you feel pain over Buffalo and all of the shootings and what you see happening, Uvalde, the reason you feel that pain is because you have a conviction that that is evil. That should not be. You have a conviction that children are the most vulnerable, that minorities are the most overlooked and underserved people in our country. And you have this conviction and it overwhelms you. But imagine having other convictions as well. Imagine being a Christian in Russia who wakes up every single day knowing that your nation is committing atrocities that are unthinkable against innocent people, blowing up civilians. Imagine being a person who is a trained soldier, who, who sees the horrors of war all across the world and feels powerless because they're not engaged in some fight. Imagine waking up every single day and feeling the guilt of having running water when you know that children are dying every single day because they don't have access to clean water. And meanwhile, we've got 15 undrunk Dasani Aquafina bottles on our counters. Imagine waking up every day with the conviction That men and women and children should not be trafficked for sex or for work across borders or across state lines or trafficked anywhere for any reason. When each year an estimated 600 to 800,000 people are trafficked. And if we all wake up every day and try to carry the burdens that every person feels... We will smother ourselves under the weight of never being enough. But you were not created to carry the weight of every issue that happens in our culture. You weren't designed for all the information that you have. And so if you're not careful, you'll find yourself, instead of feeling moved... And, and grieving with those who grieve, you'll find yourself feeling shame because you're incapable of doing anything. And when you feel overwhelmed and unable to do anything, you do nothing. I can't change it, so I can't do anything. I can't fix it, so why try? And so instead of digging in deeper to what God has called you to do uniquely, you start to feel the shame of not being what other people think you should care about, what other people think you should talk about, what other people think you should do. David. David. Does nobody flipping care about what this giant is saying? No, Dave, seems like you're the only one that's losing his cool over it. Like, why are you tripping? Why? Because you're not only called to do the thing you're uniquely gifted to do, you're also called to do the thing you're uniquely agitated about. <laughs> 
But if you're not careful, you'll let your agitation turn into criticism. And you'll think that everybody else is supposed to care just as much as you care and act just how you would act and do just what you would do. It's interesting being a leader in the day we live in because everybody has a, has a way in which they think you should lead. And we're just not a culture anymore who's afraid to try to manipulate people through shame. So two weeks ago, when the shooting in Buffalo happened, I, uh, I, was, I was on a plane. I was flying home from California and I didn't get home until 10 o'clock that night. I didn't turn on the news. I didn't check my phone because usually on the weekends I turn my phone off. I get off of social media and I don't watch the news because I don't want the news to affect what I'm saying. And I'm sure some people appreciate the fact that I don't get up every single week and just preach what's going on on Fox News and CNN. So, so I... I woke up, and then Saturday morning, didn't watch the news. Saturday, we traveled to Knoxville. My daughter had a track uh, event, and if you are a parent of anyone who is in track, you understand that those are basically days that you lose in this life. <laughs> you, just, you never get those days back. It's just ridiculous. And our daughter, she runs multiple events. She runs the first event and the last event. Bless her. Bless her. Bless her, Lord. So I was gone all day, and then we were traveling back from Knoxville, and we get home, and we, we literally just go into our room, and Monica and I are like, we shut our door, we're like, y'all stay out there, we're going in here, and they're like, oh, <laughs> and we're like, no, maybe, but first, <laughs> we just don't want to look at your faces for five minutes. <laughs> If the noise machine turns on, just go downstairs. <laughs> All right, so anyhow. So I, I, get, I, I wake up, and I wake up every Sunday about 6.30 because most, most Sundays I, I, put my message, I, I put my message together on Sundays. I have, I have a notes file that all week I'm throwing ideas and thoughts into and verses and points and stuff. And then on Sunday morning, I organize it because I like it to be fresh. Because I don't like to just read off a piece of paper. I kind of like it to feel like it's something that I have that's fresh. That's just me. That doesn't have to be how anybody else does it. And a lot of my friends think that's crazy. So, <laughs> so I, I, I preached and we... we did both services. In between services, somebody came to me and was like, hey, did you hear about what happened in Buffalo? And I was like, no. And so I got real quickly on my phone and I went to Twitter and I started to read and I saw what had happened. And man, my heart was broken. I could not, I could not believe it, but I wasn't able to read all of the details at the time. I didn't know the motivation of the shoot. I didn't know any of that. I just knew that people had been shot and killed, and the majority of them were black people. I, I had no idea that it was racially motivated. My assumption was just that it was in a community that's the population is different. You, you, so I, I preach second, and I get finished, and I start to get messages. People are like, oh, did you see what that person 
said, no, what, what happened? Well, they, they were upset they're not coming back because you didn't mention Buffalo. And so I, I started to just beat myself up. What's wrong with you? You should be aware. Why didn't you? And so Monday morning, instead of doing what I normally do on Monday morning, which is like taking the day slow, Monday morning, first thing I do, I reach over and I grab my phone, and I'm going through Twitter. And all of a sudden in, in Twitter, I'm starting to read stuff from just random people, people that, that, that I know that are like, if your pastor didn't mention Buffalo on Sunday morning, you need to find a different church. And if your pastor doesn't care about the minority communities, you need to find a different church. And so I'm, I'm starting to feel all of this like, do I even care? Why, why would people ever come back to my church? I'm an idiot. I didn't pay attention. I should be more aware. God, why didn't I? Were you trying to, was, was I not supposed to do, was I, and I'm like, I'm, I'm just killing myself. And all of a sudden, God reminded me. He said, Robbie, you don't have just a white church. I said, what? He said, sometimes when you're about that business, you don't have time to get caught up in other people's business. And I realized that what God was saying to me was that I'm actually, I'm actually out here trying to build a multicultural, multi-generational church. And, and the people online who are criticizing me have no idea who I am. Because if you knew who I was and you had ever heard me preach... You would, your first assumption would not be that Robbie doesn't care about minorities. Because if you know who I am, you would know that I have had white people leave this church because of some of the things I've said. So I'm not a, I'm a, I'm an equal opportunity offender. I will offend everybody. I'm not afraid of you. But I, I, I started to feel overwhelmed and then God was like, no, you're actually about that business. And when you're about that business, you don't have time to criticize other people's business. And God said this to me so clearly. He said, Robbie, you need to be careful that you don't ever run after somebody else's giant. And I said, I, I was like, I don't even understand what that means right now. So I started getting into the story again. I've read this story billion times. That's an exaggeration, but I've read it a lot. God began to deal with my heart. David was the only one uniquely agitated because David was the only one uniquely gifted to do anything about. God is not going to hold Saul accountable for Goliath. God is not going to hold David's brothers accountable for Goliath. Goliath was David's giant. And Robbie, you've got your own giant. And if you spend the rest of your life trying to, trying to kill everybody else's giant, you won't kill any. <laughs> so that freed me up, man. Not every emergency is your responsibility. Robbie, what should I do? The Bible teaches some clear things. When people are grieving, we grieve. But I, I, I got an opinion. Oh, man. How about you try grieving for just a minute? A kingdom-minded person grieves with those who grieves, rejoices with those who rejoice. 
kingdom-minded person doesn't insult the effectiveness of prayer. Some of y'all need to read your Bible and, and see how many things that God turned because of prayer. When you feel hopeless and helpless, and you will, you pray. Well, what am I supposed to do? Is praying all that I'm supposed to do? For some, yes. For others, no, because they are uniquely agitated and uniquely gifted to bring a solution. Wow. What happens is when you're uniquely agitated and uniquely gifted, you start to think that everybody else is supposed to feel the same way about your problem that you feel. Let me give you real quick, I'll let you go. It's 1050, I gotta let you go. Four people to say no to. First of all, bad influences. First Corinthians 15, 33, the Bible says, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. Why are you saying no to me? Uh, you're a bad influence. You're judging me. I'm not judging you. I'm just, I'm just interpreting your fruit. The Bible doesn't say, and you will judge them by their fruit. It says you'll know them. I'm not judging you. I just know people like you. I've met you before. God's given me this ability to discern. And my discernment doesn't lead to me judging you. My discernment leads to me being able to accurately interpret your fruit. Number two, false teachers. In 2 John chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, hey, he said, he says, well, in verse 8 and 9, he says, he writes to the, the leader of the church, and he says, he says, or this, this, this group of believers, and he says, he says, he says, I want you to walk in love. Hasn't Christ commanded us to walk in love? I want you to walk in love. And then he says, so if anyone comes teaching a false doctrine, I don't want you to even let them in your house. But God, if I was loving, I would just let everyone in. No, God says sometimes the best way you can love others and love you is to have nothing to do with them. You're like, I didn't know this was in the Bible. I just thought I was supposed to let everybody in. No, 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 no. You love everyone, but not everyone deserves the same type of access to your life. That's the Bible. So he says this, he says, 2 John 1 and 10, he says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Number three, Christians who choose sinful lifestyles. <laughs> we don't like this verse. 1 Corinthians 5 11 says, you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, drunkard or a swindler doesn't say Christians who make mistakes because we will all make mistakes these are Christians who are pretending to be Christ like but have chosen a lifestyle that is anti-Christ 
So I know what the Bible says about this, and I'm not doing anything to try to change. I'm not wrestling with this issue. I've actually given in to this issue, and now I'm living this lifestyle saying no to God and yes to me. And so the reason the Bible says you avoid them is because you can't help somebody when they're pretending. Number four, divisive people. Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11 says, Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. I can tell you within just a few moments who purposeless people are. They're the ones who find time to criticize others because they feel helpless and useless themselves. So their outrage and their moral superiority give them a sense of purpose. And when your life is out of order, every disruption, every tragedy robs you of your peace. And because you have no peace, you try to steal the peace of others. And so you become a manipulator and you manipulate people's feelings. Why aren't you angry? Why aren't you sad? Why aren't you speaking up? Why aren't you posting? That's an emotional manipulator. Someone who actually feels helpless and hopeless themselves and because of their inability, they're projecting onto you their own shortcomings. Paul says, People like that have turned away from the truth. Their own sins condemn them. You're trying to condemn others because you yourself are condemned. And I cannot give what I don't have. So if I don't have condemnation, I can't condemn. And some of us in the room, we can't even enjoy peace because we're waiting for the next tragedy. A hurried and overwhelmed life is not the result of a full schedule. It is the result of a cluttered soul. Some things are not Satan. They are just your soul crying out for peace. You don't care like I do. You won't. No, I just know who I am and there's a peace in that even when the world is experiencing chaos because I know what I'm uniquely gifted to do and I know what I'm uniquely agitated about and now I'm about the business of doing something about that and I'm so focused on that that I don't, I'm a limited resource. I don't have the energy and I don't have the time. Maybe you're so angry because you are actually a solution. Maybe I'm not angry, maybe I'm grieved because I'm not the solution. And if you don't watch that anger about the injustice that you feel in the world will turn into criticism instead of action and you'll feel morally superior because you criticize people who were doing nothing meanwhile you're just a keyboard warrior 
So, Father, in Jesus' name, help us. That's a big message. Sorry to drop that on a Sunday morning to you. I should have called a special session for that one. Father, as the summer begins and our minds kind of drift into vacation mode and we should all enjoy rest, help us to not take a break from you. (laughs) Help us to dig in become even more rooted and grounded as Ephesians says in your love because we don't need a faith that just does works we need a faith that's grounded in your love help us with it in Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen sorry I took so long but I felt like I had to get through all of that I love you